should have had a piece of paper on your seat there, and it's marked with 6.30 on one side and 11 on the other. I'm going to do it in reverse order. So if you go to the one with 6.30 marked on it, do them in reverse Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God, just as Pastor Elia has just prayed, we pray that you would open up our ears. God, protect us this morning. And all those who, who, who listen and watch around the world by television or radio, we pray prophetically out into the nations that you would open their ears, guide their lives, steer the church, God, in the way that you want her to go. And begin here this morning. We commit ourselves to you. Lead us like, like birds in the nest, like chicks in the nest. We ask you to feed us, nourish us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going away a couple of years ago. I was going away for a few days, and I went to the bank, and we had about two and a half thousand pounds or something in, the, in our current account, and I took out some money to go away with, and that was fine. I'd gone four or five days. I came back, went to get some money, and it's all gone. Everything. So, first port of call, Jeanette, <laughs> what have you been doing? Buying shoes, you know? And she hadn't touched anything. And what had happened was one day she was at the, the cash point and someone had looked over her shoulder, had cloned her card. They'd actually stolen our identity. And you know you've got to watch your bin bags now because they're going through your bin bags to get your bank statements and all that. Identity crisis is a current thing all over the globe, something we have to be very mindful of. But you know in terms of the church, identity crisis is an age-old thing. Since the inception of the church, there has been an ongoing generational crisis about who we are, what we do, what we should be. And I've given you a list there at the top of your sheet just about some ways that people see the church. If you ask you know, someone, what do you say the church is? What is your concept of the church? Some people would say, ah, the church is a hospital. And whenever they walk into a church, you know, say, hello, what's wrong with you? And their expectation is because you're in a church that there's something wrong with you. Or their expectation is that, you know, people would seek that out. Well, friends, Illuminate, is there anything wrong with you? Amen. And I'm fine, and I hope you are fine. But some churches, some people get that perspective, right? I mean, you've probably had that. The church in some ways is a hospital, but that's not our only description. Some people see the church as an army barracks. In other words, it's all about going to war. It's all about evangelism. And if that's the only perspective you take, then what are you going to do with the people who don't see it as an army barracks? Boom. Shoot them. No good. Right? Some people will see the church as a university. It's a place where it's all about study. And the first thing they ask you when they walk in is, you know, where's the Bible study or whatever? And it's all about the word, the word, the word. Some people see it as a social club. It's very popular, that one. <laughs> it's the place where all my friends go. It's all about me. It's all about my life, my social life. Some people see it as a workhouse. And the only thing they do when they come to church is work. And so that ends up being their perspective of the church. And, of course, that's, that's chronic. That's a crisis. 
many, especially the lost out there, if you asked them what the church was, they would see it simply as a building, nothing else. The church is just a building on this corner or that. Some people see the church as a machine, especially leaders. Pastors can have this problem. They see the church as a place where it's all graphs and programs and statistics. And lastly, some people may see it as a love-in. That's not an exhaustive list, by the way. Some people see it as a love-in. The, 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 the church is, is there where it's the place where I'm supposed to be loved all the time. Amen. No problem. I'm just saying if we go lopsided on these things, if any one of those things on that list becomes, you know, you pluck it out and you expect the church to be just that, you're going to end up in trouble. You're going to end up with an identity crisis, individually or collectively. So as a church, we must be all of these things. And we must analyze and look at them, not just specialize in any one. I could take Donya here, for example. Donya is heavily engaged in the evangelism team. And the truth about us is this, folks. We value what we do. And we do what we value. We value the thing that we're gifted in. And that's what we do. We value what we do. And we do what we value. And, but the problem with that, if we take that too far, is we superimpose that identity upon the whole church. Whether it's worship, whether it's evangelism, whether it's prayer. Absolutely, God has gifted you, all of us, in one particular thing, probably, is a dominant gift. That's fine. All I'm saying is don't make it your identity because it isn't. There's one name, there's one title that's missing off that list. And if you were looking for one thing to describe the church, it would be the one that's missing. And it's the bride. I wouldn't call the church a barracks or an army, first and foremost. I wouldn't call it a hospital or a machine or a building. If I was looking for one word, that word would definitely be bride. And we're doing a series at the moment called Ready, Steady, Go. It's a series to help churches that are already established to keep going and to reinforce, if you like, their foundations, and also to help church planting, just to give a bit of a structure to some forms of church planting. We've done the ready bit, ready in prayer. We've done the discipleship bit, steady in discipleship. And today we move on to the last section, which is the go bit. That the church needs to go, individuals need to go to be healthy. There has got to be some discharge out of my life. If I am like a reservoir that all I do is feed, I'm going to stink. It's going to get stagnant around my life. It's going to get pretty dark and dull. My God will probably be very distant to me because my lake, my reservoir, it ain't moving. You've got to have an outlet, and that's the go bit. I'm talking for you as a person, as an individual. Forget the church a moment. Just you. Don't let the devil rob evangelism out of your life. It should be incorporated in every believer's life. And then collectively, we should do that as a church. Now, I think the world's not going to last much longer. I don't know about you. I think we're getting very, very close to the last days. Not only do the Jews think that, but the Muslim world are, are, are talking about that. The lost are talking about that. And they're queuing up to go and see the latest film. <laughs> right? So many of the latest films coming out of Hollywood, Armageddon, End of Days, Last Days. And it gets a bit worrying 
when the world are talking more about it than we are. Fads, you see? Churches go through fads and phases. It's the false alarm system to make us dull at the right moment. This is the right moment. This is the right moment. I'm not waiting for another generation. We've got this one. Now, I believe the Lord is very, very near. And in terms of evangelism, it has huge pertinence, you see, about the end times church and how we behave in evangelism. Look at me. Listen to me. I do not want to go into evangelism like an army. I want to go into evangelism like a bride. I want to go into evangelism like a beautiful, winsome, enthralled bride. That's what we should be. One who would win others over. But in, just in any practical wedding, you know in the run-up to a wedding, I mean, at least half of you here are married. It is a very stressful time. Enkem. <laughs> in the run-up to your marriage, were you stressed? Enkem was real stressed. Where's the cake? Oh, it's there. Where's, uh, you know, where's Jim? Oh, he's here. It's okay. <laughs> the run-up to a wedding is an enormously, enormously stressful time. And if you're not careful, you can start barking at the person you're just about to marry. You can start getting all vexed and everything else. And that's supposed to be a, a romance time, isn't it? Isn't it? Just before the wedding, in the weeks, in the months, in the years, if you like, in terms of the church, that's supposed to be a time of intimacy where you and I are building a relationship. You know, in the three months leading up to marrying Jeanette. I sent her flowers every single day. Text message. Picture message. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Easy. You can automate it. It's really, really romantic. I'm only joking. The time that leads up to a wedding should be the most intimate, the most encouraging, the, the time in which your relationship is growing and exciting. But you know what? Do you know what it turns out as? An absolute labor. It can turn into a nightmare because you're running here and running there. Do you know where the church is on earth right now? We're on the run-up to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And things are starting to get busy. Very, very busy. Just like when Christ came the first time, he stirred things up and so... In these last days, in these last moments of history, the church is just about to get very, very busy as we prepare not only to bring in the end times harvest, because that's prophesied in Scripture, a great number will turn to God in these last days. Not just Jews, but from all nations will turn to God. And the church is needed to be on its absolute tiptoes, ready, ready for service. There is a mighty, mighty revival like the world has never seen on its way, right? Rumbling beneath the surface. And all the seeds sown, all the preaching done, it is not wasted. People remember. People have heard. You know, I witnessed to my brother once, it was 11 years before he rang me back about that. 11 years. But he remembered all those years what had been told to him. And the word of God will not be wasted. The seeds that have sown will not die, but will come to life, and we will see that harvest. How do we do this then? So here we are. We're ready. We're praying. 
we're committed to discipleship, but how do we go? And this is really important. It's very important, folks. How do we present ourselves to the world? Like an army, I don't think the guy on the street wants you to be an army. Are you with me? I think the church has got a bad enough reputation anyway. When they see this, do you know what they think the most likely thing you're going to do with it? Whack them with it. Not give them a word of encouragement from it. The church has got a terrible reputation in these ways. And in the last days, the bride needs to get ready for that wedding. And I just want to give a little, just evangelistically, I've given you eight points there that we should be, that we should work at individually and collectively as we get ready for the rapture, as we get ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if we do this right, then our going will not be in vain. Our evangelism, our witnessing, our praying will not be in vain. What type of church does God want? What type of bride is God looking for? Well, the first one on your list there. God wants a bride who knows that she is a bride. Now, I've done a lot of weddings. I've done, I don't know, 60, 70 weddings in the last seven or eight years. I tell you, you see some right... Oh, some women make an absolute mess of themselves, don't they? They turn up on the wedding day and they look dreadful. I'm just telling the truth, folks. They do. They look like they're going to a nightclub. Uh-oh, have I offended someone? <laughs> but they do. You see some women walking in and, where's the rest of your clothes, dear? It's a wedding, isn't it? Who are you marrying? You don't look to me like you're dressed to marry the Lord, you know, if you know what I mean. The bride of Christ needs to be, God wants a bride who knows she's a bride, but not only who knows she's a bride, who knows whose bride she is, who, who she belongs to, and to dress appropriately, to appear, you know, in public appropriately. And you don't always get that. This one woman came in, one wedding I did, and she was so badly dressed I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and it was a pastor I was working with at the time. I was sitting on the front row. This woman walked in, sat down. I thought, goodness me. I better get back to my message, hadn't I? <laughs> he actually took the seats. And uh, it was a Romanian wedding. And what they do is the couple sit on the platform, you know. But the pastor was so worried that I would talk about it that he took the seats and put them over on the side. Put them away from me. <laughs> Crazy. I'm just saying, folks. It's Jesus that the church is getting ready for. It's Jesus. And God wants a bride who knows that she's a bride, appears like a bride, looks like a bride, feels that way. How does a bride feel anyway? There should be a certain glow. Amen? Amen. There should be a certain glow about a bride and a groom. There should be a joy in their heart. Or I don't know if I want to join your church. If you're miserable... Why should I go to your place? What's your Lord like? He can't be much good. There should be a joy in the heart of the bride of Christ, particularly in the run-up to the marriage supper, particularly in the last days. There should be an excitement, an expectation. And I wonder, is that what we actually exude? Or are we stuck in this army thing? You know, Jeanette went for a job once. We were living in Liverpool, and it was a classroom assistant seven, eight, nine people or something turned up for that job. And she's sitting in there and they're going through the motions getting people interviewed, you know. And she goes in and she gets the job. 
And she was only there about one year or something. And on the day that she left that school, the headmaster told her something he didn't dare tell her before. He came over and whispered, do you remember your interview? And she said, yeah. Boring, you know, interview. Do them all the time. Classroom assistants come and go. And I was sitting there just, have you had any experience? No. What schools are you working for? No, no, it's fine. And the people were coming in. And then you came in. And he said, there's only, this is a lost person talking. There's only one word to describe what entered the room. Glory. It became glorious. She got the job. And he was just curious, what is that? What's that excitement? What's that joy? What's that I can see in you? That looks good to me. I'd like some of that. What is that? It's the Lord. I'm engaged. I'm about to be wed to my Savior. You know, Jesus is single today, but not for much longer. The marriage supper of the Lamb is right upon us. And when it comes to our evangelism, I don't know if there's any place where it's more appropriate for you to be seen as a joyful, happy, expectant bride. Amen? That's what we need to proclaim to a lost world who wake up so down, so depressed. You know, the whole world knows there is a God. you know that? The whole world, everybody in it, Romans chapter 1 and 2, and they wake up in this recession, depression, hopeless. And then they can meet you. And they can look at you. You're not hopeless. Where's that joy? Where's that life? What is that difference I see? We need to really be a bride. Firstly, God wants a bride who knows that she's a bride. Secondly, God wants a bride who's not just faithful, but a bride who's got a living and active love, real love, living love. And you know what relationships are like as the years go by. A man who told his wife, oh, I love you, may stop saying that. The woman may stop expressing her love to her husband. Relationships can grow cold, and it's not much different with churches, with believers, as they go on with the Lord. They can get, you can start to take God for granted. You can become accustomed to the things of God, especially if you've been in churches for years. That's a real worry, you know, because things can grow cold and horrible in your relationship, and that's not right. God wants a bride not just a faithful bride. Some of the most faithful people in churches are the coldest. Some of the most faithful people in all churches worldwide, same everywhere, some of your most faithful people are the coldest towards God with very little passion, very little of a relationship with God. Sad. God doesn't just want faithfulness. I'm here every week. Praise God. Good. There's many a husband, you know. The wife says, you don't love me. I'm here, aren't I? I've never gone anywhere. I'm still here. I've been faithful to you, haven't I? It was a bit more, actually, I was looking for. You know, if all I am is faithful, there's a real problem. And the real problem, a deep problem, with my relationship with God. We had a pastor's meeting one day. Not here, he was in Ireland. And all pastors came in, sat down, and this one pastor was 
<coughs> very obviously upset. I came in, sat down. I thought we can't have the meeting with. He was in a stroppy mood, you know. So we prayed. I said, "Look, what, 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 what's wrong? Oh, nothing, nothing." I said, "Look, we can't have a meeting. There's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. I'm here, aren't I?" You may well be here physically, but there's something seriously wrong going on, and we need to get to the bottom of it. He wasn't able to deal with that, you know? And it's the same for us as believers, for us being in a church. It's a deep and personal thing. One of the things that, that led me to the Lord, when I remember you were talking the other day about the blows. If I smash this pulpit ten times, and on the tenth blow, cheers, which blow broke it? And of course, they all broke it. They all, it, took, it took all of that to do it. You can't point anyone out. And so it is with people's lives. When I was in social services, I worked with a guy, real nice guy, admirable person. I, I, I really respected him greatly. And his name was David Jones. And he had two little girls that were bundles of joy and a lovely wife. And David stuck out to me as a very good family man. I was lost. He was saved. I wasn't particularly interested in his gospel. I didn't want to know. But day after day, David would work with me. And, and I respected him greatly. And one day, he came up to me and said this. He didn't hardly ever witness, actually, but I guess he didn't need to because this was one of the blows that changed my life. He said, Mike, do you know something? I love Jesus more and I love my wife and my children. See you tomorrow. I remember sitting in that room. I was sitting at my desk. I remember putting my pen down. <laughs> and thinking, what? Because I knew him. I knew him really well. I was close to him. And I realized at that moment that Jesus was alive. Because of the love, you see. It wasn't like he was saying, I love football. That's not a personal type of love. This was real deep and real personal. And I remember getting up. I was, I was on my own in the office. I remember walking around thinking, Jesus is alive. <laughs> Where is he? I'm not joking. That might sound silly to you, but that's what I was thinking. Where is he? And of course, you can your Bible. So he died. He rose. We have a man in heaven. What, what, what's going on here? My workmate is not an idiot. He's not a fool. He's a good and godly man. But guess what? He's got an interpersonal, living, loving relationship with, it, with someone who's alive. You can't have that with Muhammad. You know what I mean? This was a real loving thing. Not just faith. And God wants you as an individual and us as a church to be a bride who know we're a bride. To be a bride absolutely who's faithful, but not just faithful because that's not it. Much more than that, with a living and active love. And thirdly, God wants a bride that's evangelistic. Turn to Song of Songs a moment, just before Isaiah. Turn to the book of Song of Songs. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 5. And look at this. This is a bride being evangelistic, and I believe this is a picture of the church in the last days. At least God's dream church in the last days, the one that he wants us to be. And look at how she's behaving. This is evangelism, guys. This is the go bit in the last days. Song of Songs, chapter 5. And it begins with the, the bride falling asleep. 
and the, 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 the bridegroom comes, she falls asleep, and he's gone, and he, she, she begins to search for him. And the friends in verse 9, chapter 5 and verse 9, the lost this is, it represents the lost, the friends come and they say, how is your beloved better than others? Most beautiful of women. How is your beloved better than others? That you charge us so. You see that? Can you see that, folks? This is the lost asking the bride of Christ. That's us. What's different about Jesus then? Why should I become a believer? And look at the response in verse 10. The bride starts to describe her groom. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. And on and on she goes. And she describes the passion and the depth of her love. Now look at chapter 6, verse 1. This is the effect that a living, active love in the bride had on the world. Where, chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? That's the church. That's a prophetic picture of the church at the end of time. A church that's fallen in love with Jesus. That's so in love with him that when the lost see you, they want what you've got. They come after you. It's exactly what God did with Israel, right? He made them jealous. So that in the hope that they would turn back. And he, he, I hope he doesn't have to do it with us, folks. I hope we literally fall in love with God all over again. If you've gone cold, renew that relationship. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. If you turn to Revelation, actually, look at this. Revelation chapter 22, the last, last few verses of the Bible, actually, the very back of your Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Here's another reference to how the bride will be in the last days. Revelation chapter 22, and look at verse 17. It's great. <laughs> it says, the Spirit and the bride say come. Now, I don't know if you understand. You know the book of Revelation is like no other book in the Bible. The Greek in the New Testament is very good, especially Luke, especially Paul. The, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, as you would imagine, is, 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 is very good because of the care they took to pass these things down the generations. The book of Revelation stands out like a sore thumb in the whole Bible because the, 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 the Greek here is an absolute mess. It's like written on the back of a serviette because it, it was handled differently. It's the only book that's dictated. It's a letter from Jesus Christ, directly from Jesus. You've got letters from Paul, letters from Peter, but the book of Revelation is a letter dictated to John. And if you read through the book, you'll see that 17 times Jesus prompts him and says, John, keep writing. Keep writing. Don't stop. And John's writing furiously down. Right, 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 right. Don't stop. Keep writing. And then when he gets to those last few verses, he says, now, seal it up. And cursed is he who adds or subtracts. But you know the book of Revelation. The theme is the Spirit and the church. Right? Listen to what the Spirit says to the church. The Spirit says to the church. Now, folks, look. You get to the end. Hallelujah. It's no longer the Spirit and the church. What is it? It's the Spirit and the bride. It's the Spirit and the bride. And the mechanical nature of our evangelism, hallelujah, has died away. The army aspect has gone. Because I do not believe 
that God is coming back. Look at me, listen to me. I do not believe that Jesus is coming back for a church that's out of love with him. God the Father set that up? I don't think so. Your love can be stirred right now if we will get together with the Spirit on these issues and be the bride, the evangelistic, evangelistic as Gordon calls it, the evangelistic bride. And learn not to get, just get stuck. It's a good word, you know, evangelism. Evangelism is, is learning not just to get stuck in one way of evangelism, but to be elastic, evangelistic, and let God use us in, in many different types. Amen. But people need to see, they absolutely need to see in you Jesus Christ. Right? That's what they need to see. They need to see a hope of glory. They need to see excitement, faith. That's what this lost world is looking for. And that tells me that that's exactly God's plan for your life. Exactly God's plan. Don't get distracted by the world, folks. Don't get distracted. Be the bride. Be the bride. God wants a church that knows she's a bride and whose bride she is. He wants a church with a living and active love, not just a mechanical faithfulness. God wants a church that's evangelistic. And the fourth point we've looked at many, many times and we'll look at again. He wants a church that's Christ-like. You know, there's an old version of you, friends. There's an old version of me. There's been many versions of me and there'll be many versions of you. You just keep on changing. Keep on letting God alter you. Keep on shedding that old skin, right? Keep on moving forward. The old you has no place in the future. Keep moving. Keep changing. Metamorphosis, right? Keep moving through the process of life. And the idea is, you know, the, 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 bride, the bride of Christ is supposed to be Christ-like. So what's the personality of the church supposed to be? Christ-like. Your personality? Christ-like. They say the longer a couple live together, that if they live together long enough, they actually get to look like one another. So if you hang around Jeanette, you'll have a beard, and if you have a hole in the back of your head, praise the Lord. I've actually seen that sometimes. If you look at a couple, they can actually start to grow to look like one another. But the church should be that. The church should be Christ-like. We should be that, exemplified, personified. The church should be attractive. This is all part of what that bride is, exuding the, you know, the passion in our love for Christ. The church should be a servant at heart. Not just come here to be served, but to serve. And goodness knows there's plenty of that goes on around here. You guys are fantastic, wonderful, great in service. The church should be kind to the poor. Right? That's part of our nature. Anybody want to marry a selfish bride? A greedy bride? A stingy bride? No. The church should be kind. Kind to the poor. A servant at heart. And of course, the church is, is prayerful. And this is part of our role. It's part of the bride's role. Jesus ever lives to intercede. He's praying for you now. And what's our role? Our role is to back that up. Our role is also to pray. Right? My, my wife, you know, praise God for Jeanette, but she prays for me all the time. We get up 4 o'clock Sundays. I get up, she gets up. Groom? Right. Why does she do it? Because she's going to pray. So before you even get here, she's prayed about six hours. Already. Every week. 
groom and bride in support of that ministry. So it is with the church. Christ ever lives to pray for the world, pray for you, bring the lost in. And we, the church, as his bride, should support that and pray. Amen? It's part of our role. It becomes part of our nature. Let's have the worship team back, please. The last thing I want to say is in regards to Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 17, that the, the, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And I want us to embrace this today as your personality. And if you need to change anything, we'll pray in a moment, and you change whatever you need to change. But has anybody here read the Puritan paperbacks? Nobody? <laughs> Puritan, Jim, yeah, you would have, John. Puritan paperbacks were a, a very famous series of books. They're excellent. The theology in them is, is superb. That's what they're famous for. It was just, just after the Reformation, here within the UK, there was a group of people called the Puritans. And whether you're aware of it or not, they were very good on truth. But the church that they produced was not that great, I'm afraid. The church that they produced was dry, dusty, Victorian, legalistic, boring, and the nations, the local nations here, left it. And you can see it represented in old types of Presbyterianism, where there's legalistic rigidity within their meetings, and no one wants to go, because it's not a very attractive bride. I just want to say, folks, I've got loads of the Puritan paperbacks, and I extract the truth from them, but not the attitude. Because the attitude of that type of teaching, the, the Wesleys, the Edwards, and all of that, the attitude of that type of teaching, in truth, is magnificent. But it actually produced a church that history regrets. And they left it. It became what we know in this country, in the UK. I'm not talking about American Presbyterianism. It's very different. But here in the UK, what we know as Presbyterianism, it became very dull and died out. Or the Church of England, where things can be rigid, stiff, legalistic, and hard. That's not the bride. That's not the bride. It's not the bride. That's not the bride Jesus died for. It's not the bride he's coming back for. It's gracious. The church will be full of grace and truth. Full of love for him. So much so that prophetically here, Song of Songs tells us that they will come after you and say, who is your God? Take me to the, you know, take me to him. Show me him. Because I can see life in you. And I want that. The light that comes out of the bride, that's you, in the last days, should be astonishing. Do you agree? We're just about to get wet. We're just about to get raptured. Don't know when. Just know it's very soon. And the preparation for that, primarily here, has got to be in our attitude. That we start to think like a bride, purify ourselves like a bride does, clothe ourselves like a bride with the attitudes, right? Humility, grace, generosity, kindness, all the things the scriptures show that we should be. So when it comes to evangelism, folks, this is the first message on go. And I just want us to get it right. I don't want to have ten points of doctrine about how a person gets saved. Because you could teach that doctrine to your classmate.
your hands before God. Lord, I thank you that it's the last days. I'm excited about the last days. And I pray you would pour your spirit upon us, that it wouldn't just be the spirit saying to you, come. But we also cry, Lord Jesus, come. Come back and, and sweep us away. Lift us out of this world. And Lord, we pray that we would exude our passionate love for you and that the lost in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we go, that they would see you living, breathing, and Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.